You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike, Pensacon, New Jersey. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Johnny Rashid is here with us. He's our pastor. It's the pastor's switch, uh, which normally means I, he might be able to have to introduce himself and lead you the way that I am. But we meet at 1030 and they meet in the evening. So I'll be over in South uh, Philly later on today. But Johnny's here with us this morning. I get to introduce him. My good friend. Glad to be with the uh, extended family here in South Jersey. We're talking about family today. And so it's nice to to expand my sense of family as far as as, as far as South Jersey, right? Right over the uh, bridge. So, Thanksgiving is coming. I know Thanksgiving is coming because I've started to, this is how I work, I started to play Christmas music again. That's the connection. That's why I know it's here. Um, there's no war on Christmas, by the way. There's war on Thanksgiving. Because right when Halloween ends, Christmas starts. And so this little thanks, this, this little November holiday is the one getting killed. Um, so Mariah Carey is leading me there. That's how I'm working. And it's an instinct, you might say. Um, I know the damage I'm doing to Thanksgiving. But the, the, other, the other reason I know it's Thanksgiving is because I'm, this month I'm cooking Thanksgiving-style food. It's a whole month of this kind of thing because I, I love the warmth and the comfort that it provides me. So instead of cramming it all into uh, one or two meals, I get to sp- spread it out all over. So we're eating turkey all month. It's joyous and delicious. Um, Thanksgiving special for me because it, Thanksgiving was the holiday my family hosted when we grew up. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was the one at our house. So all the uh, cousins would come to Lebanon County from the Lehigh Valley, generally in Pennsylvania, to eat with us. And it was the time of year we hosted them. So it was unique and interesting and special. And now that I'm grown up, I still go back home for Thanksgiving. And I love parts of that experience for sure. Um, we're going to my uh, sister's house this year. And I'm, I'm making the bird. So this is a big honor for me. That's exciting. Um, so that's, that's, that's a good part of it. But going back home isn't always great to be honest, because it reopens old wounds. And that can be hard. So my, uh, my mother will, without fail, this always happens, She'll guilt, the, the guilt will start the moment I walk in. Maybe you can relate to this. This is right after she insults something I'm wearing or how my hair, or how my hair is arranged. So this is, this is as she hugs me. So it's really confusing how this relationship's working. And then she'll tell me how much she misses me and how much she misses my children and how we don't call or visit enough. This is when I'm visiting right now. I get reminded, you don't do this enough. You know, you don't call enough. Don't you love me? And she might even start crying, which is apparently supposed to elicit an emotional reaction in me as I confess my regret for neglecting her. So that always makes for a good start of the holiday. Um, <laughs> Note to mom and to everyone else, punishing the behavior you want to see isn't a good way to produce it, right? So every time I show up, you're mad at me for not showing up enough? It kind of uh, it lowers the incentive, right? Don't tell me how much I don't visit. 
if you want me to visit, right? Enjoy the visit. Let's do it together. They, they used to do this to me growing up because I'd only visit for a few hours at a time. I never slept over as a rule. So only 90 minutes away, I'd go, do my thing, and then leave. And they'd always remark on the brevity of my visits. My sister lives close by, on the other hand, and they see her all the time. They visit her regularly. She calls all the time. She might call my mom like twice in a day. So that's a, that seems like a lot to me. Um, so they have a whole different arrangement than their estranged, urbane son in this distant land of Philadelphia. They're still confused about that. Which brings me to my, my sister. She, uh, she's the daughter they, uh, they love more. That's how I feel, right? Um, and she, she worked it out a little bit better than I did, right? Suburban life, big house, doctor, husband, three kids. And, and then she'll, she'll approach me. She'll ask me invasive, annoyingly invasive questions. Um, and then wonder why I'm not more intimate. And then she'll uh, criticize me for a variety of reasons, right? She'll criticize all the things that I do in the moment. You know, she'll, she'll criticize me for looking at my phone as I'm trying to avoid my family. And then she'll criticize me for cursing because you can't curse at Debbie's house. And so it's hard to set boundaries in this situation without being criticized. That's what's hard to do that with family. So that's a choice I have to make. How do I work this out? I'm going to give you two, two more family members that I'm working with here. My brother-in-law. He'll start, this is what he'll, he'll start telling me about all the Philadelphia real estate he's bought when I come in. And then he'll ask me if any of you want to rent my place. This happens. Do you have any friends in Philadelphia? Any of the people in your church want to rent my building? Meanwhile, he doesn't know that out-of-town landlords can be the worst and the value they bring to the community is uh, of some dubious merit. He doesn't know I advocate for affordable housing, and I fight gentrification, which makes me, uh, could be an opponent of Philadelphia area developers. And then he'll bait me, and it doesn't take much bait, I have to admit, but he'll, <laughs> he'll bait me to talking about politics, which I hate doing, but kind of love doing too. So he'll mention something like Medicare for All or Nancy Pelosi or Epstein or Erdogan or one of these people, and they'll, he'll try to get me to engage. And then my father's ears will perk up because this came up. This is a subject. That is, if he's shown up to the gathering at that point, or if he hasn't left yet, because despite his criticism of my short visits, his are even shorter. So maybe this is, maybe, maybe the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Maybe that's what I'm dealing with now. Um, so he'll say something ludicrous. My father will chime in with something ludicrous, like a Fox News talking point, and he's trying to mess with me since we've been debating politics since the Clinton administration. This is my relationship with my dad. And then my sister chimes in and says, why don't you guys stop talking about all, all the political stuff? Remembering, no, no cursing, no politics, even though her husband started it, right? Because he's, he's, he's just watching what's happening. And so dad and I keep going at it. You know, last time I was there, this is what happened with me and my father. Dad sat me down like he was my bishop to ask me uh, leading questions about doctrine, Christian doctrine. And then he started uh, questioning my uh, ability and efficacy as a pastor. So you can see how supportive this environment is and how challenging it is to, to go back home to be with the family. It's all predictable. But despite its predictability, it's still hard to know what to do. So every Thanksgiving, I have to ask myself, who am I going to be? What am I going to do? 
am I going to regress to who I was when I was 18 and just work out the family system in the same way? Am I going to be the rebellious black sheep I always was? Or am I going to be my new self in Jesus as Jesus has made me? Maybe you can relate to this. It's hard to be who you want to be. around your family. It's hard to be who you think you should be and actually act on it. There's all sorts of forces that complicate your decision. I'm going to overstate this problem, but family can make it hard to follow Jesus. But there's beauty in that. We have to work out our faith in family, in, in, in community. There's no escaping that. And our family origins are um, inextricably connected to us. No matter what kind of family you come from. Whether they are overly present in your life. Like some of you will call your mom or dad this afternoon. That's, that's what you'll do. Or totally absent. And you haven't spoken to your parents in years or maybe ever in some sense. That connection or lack thereof is part of you, and it's you, you can't remove it. It's there. And then our lives are further complicated because we have kind of bizarre folk theological sayings, things Jesus never said, that make this even worse. Here's one. You have to do what's best for your family. I just told you a story about my family and how I relate to them. I have to do what's best for them. What are we talking about? What does this mean? How do I how do I relate to this in this in this system? But this already messes with me because of what family we're talking about, right? Is it the one I uh, left and cleft when I got married? Familiar with that phrase? Leave and cleave. Or the one I go back to when I return home. And in in my culture, we're Egyptian, Eastern kind of culture, these distinctions are problematic on their own because the extended family is the most important one. You know, we all live together in the mess of village run by the matriarch and the patriarch. So what's best for me and my family of origin? Maintaining the honor of the patriarch by never challenging him? Making sure the matriarch, when I say patriarch, I mean my father, he kind of runs the family system. Or my mother, who is really the center of love of my family, but making sure she's comforted by the love we lavishly pour out on her. For me, my fam- for my family system, disrupting any of that causes major problems. And there's an intense reaction to disrupting it. I have a lot more stories I could tell you. But something as simple as not accepting gifts causes major problems. <clears throat> One time I did it. My mother, my mother always gets us things that we don't ask for. And we have a tiny house in Philadelphia that already has too much stuff in it. You know, we have a three and a six-year-old, and they have a lot of toys. And right now, there's a lot of candy everywhere. I don't know if this is your house, too. It's all over the place. It's an amazing surplus that no one could ever eat. But it's there. So our house is uh, full of stuff, my, and my mom wants to add to it. 
to, to show her love. But I have to be honest with her and say, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can take this. The nice thing to do is to accept the gift you don't want. And it's usually something kitschy from like Hobby Lobby with some vaguely spiritual saying on it. They probably have a thing that says you have to do what's best for your family on a plaque for you to put up in your house. She says, don't reject my gift. Take the Hobby Lobby thing and then say thank you and then throw it away when you get home. That's the polite thing to do. That's what I'm supposed to do. Because I'm not going to donate it to the thrift store, right? I don't, I don't, I don't, because I, I, I like to give good things to the store. You know, I, 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 I consider the people there. You know, I don't just give them like garbage. I give them good things. Yeah, and I'll give it to the, yeah, the competing thrift store. That's what I'm supposed to do. So it's kind of like, ugh, how do I, how do I work in this system? That sort of thing makes it hard to be a Christian because the family's already decided they're my Lord. I'm supposed to serve them all the time and not Jesus. And that's not the same thing for me. They're the ones that decide what I do and how I act. It's a mess. And of course, all of this is imposed on my new family. And they sign up for not disrupting the family homeostasis too. Homeostasis is a word that means how things are. Family systems therapists use it. And then whatever patterns form in my new family are also calcified for eternity. And good, good kids, like my sister, keep the system going the way that it is. And so now I have a new family, and we have new norms that can't be disrupted too. And I've learned some of those norms from my family and then, and then, and then my wife has learned norms from her family, and then we create a new system, and then the children are supposed to maintain that for us too as they grow up. I guess that's just how it works. And that's how it's always organized in the Middle East too. Like I said, I'm from Egypt, so there's a Middle Eastern sense about me and my family. The idea is you have to do what's best for your family, and by that we mean extended family, is deeply woven into me. In the West, and maybe this is probably more relevant for us here, having to do what's best for your family might involve the career you have, making sure you provide enough, the house you live in, the school your kids go into, you move to go to the right school, right? It's, uh, it's about, main for me though, it's about maintaining loyalty to the family, to the name. You never bring shame to your household. So I've already, I've, if, if my family ever hears this talk that I gave you, it would be a big problem for them because I just uh, aired all their dirty laundry, right? I'm talking about it in a public way. And you're never supposed to do that in, in, in Egypt, right? You're supposed to hide everything away for fear of shaming the family, right? In, there's a saying in the Middle East that says a, uh, um, a sin that's hidden is half forgiven, right? That's the idea that they work with. Um, and so Egypt has these entrenched family systems. My father's side of the family grew up literally in the same neighborhood as my mother's side of the family in Cairo. They grew up like in the same block. They know each other. And that's how my parents met. And to this day, the, these families feud with each other like they're the uh, Capulets and Montagues, right? They, they have this uh, conflict. They know each other. They know about each other. And it makes 
it, sometimes they join together on holidays and it makes it intensely odd. And so all of this can happen. So Jesus definitely didn't say you have to do what's best for your family. But he was definitely told that. He definitely got that idea, much like I did. You know, Jesus is a Middle Easterner too. And so a lot of the family system things in the Bible I can personally relate to. He had the same sort of family situation I had, or, or really I had the same situation he had. Or at least the people around him anyway. That's why when he called for a new way of doing family, it was amazingly revolutionary. Every time Jesus spoke against the societal order, of which extended families were the base, he was disrupting that system and how it worked. He was disrupting that homeostasis, right? How things are. And when you change how you act, like if I decided to set some boundaries with my folks and not just regress into my old pattern, that is, when I don't accept mom's gift or I uh, tell my dad that his interrogation of my credentials as a pastor is inappropriate, if I were to do that, that disruption would cause massive amounts of stress. But it can ultimately result in a healthier arrangement. That thing you're never supposed to tell your mom because you know it's going to mess everything up, sometimes telling it makes things better because it rearranges how the family works. Very stressful, but also important. Jesus radically defines what family is, and he acknowledges that he is bringing a whole new way of doing family, and he knows it will cause problems. The Gospel of Matthew especially exemplifies this, this disruption because the Gospel itself is written to a Jewish audience, and that's like the family system. And Jesus is sort of changing the Jewish family here by challenging their loyalties and their own social order. He's, show, he's showing up at Thanksgiving and changing the rules. In Matthew 10, this is what I want, in Matthew 10, when he's sending out the 12 disciples, he tells them the world will hate them because of him. And he knows he's changing how we think about family altogether. Here's what he says. Well, someone out loud read this. Can you see this? Someone who can see it, read it out loud for us. <coughs> not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So he's saying things that are really hard to work with. He's saying following me will change everything in your whole life. And that our love for Jesus needs to proceed, come before, and come above our love for everyone else, including our families. And yeah, that means our mother, and yeah, that means our children. That's really hard. Because at the heart of it, it's such a cross-culturally radical idea. Because we're told that we should organize our life. How we should organize our life? 
and what we're responsible for, and ultimately it seems like our family's livelihood is the most important thing that we should care for. Right? That's why you move to a certain neighborhood to get into the right school district. Or move back closer to where you grew up because you start bearing children. Because we're trained to do those things, and they make sense within a certain political economy. And it's not just the South Jersey thing. You know, I'm here to tell you it's not, it's a whole world thing, right? It's not just, it doesn't just happen here, it happens everywhere. Jesus, in disrupting how the Jewish society works, it disrupts how every society works. He'll make this even more clear in chapter 12. I'll read this one to you. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. And somebody, someone told him, your mother and brother are standing outside waiting to speak for you. And he, he replied to him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus invites his family into the work that he's doing. But, 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 but says that the ones that do the work, the will of the Father, are his, are his real family. They're sacrificed to that. But there's also beauty. Because the body of Christ gives us another chance at family. And it is, indeed, the work that I've done with you in context, in this community, in psychotherapy, thanks to Circle Counseling, that I can re-enter my family system as a new person and even change them along the way. Circle of Hope gave me another chance at family, and that actually did not uh, estrange me from my family of origin. It made me a better member of my family of origin. It made me a better uh, person in the family system. Or at least potentially, because I still have to answer the question every time, who am I going to be? How am I going to work this out? Who am I going to be this Thanksgiving? I can be who I am in Christ and endure the trauma of disrupting my family's homeostasis because I've learned with you. The new found family that I found with you, the one that reordered my life and even reorders my extended family's life, is the one I want to pass down to others too. And so that means a radical new way of doing family one that we do together that looks different and means we do it together. That's what we call village parenting. We follow Jesus as a community and Jesus centers us in how we do family together. The village is the family. The village raises our children with us. We raise one another's children and we influence each other like mother and brother and sister. That's, that's this family that we have here. We raise children together so that we don't have to figure it out alone. Did you ever watch grandparents with children? There's things they do that I don't know how to do. You know, it's really interesting to observe them do this. And I think, well, yeah, you guys have been doing this for like 40 years. We're just, we're just starting, you know? So there's some sense to having a village do it together. So I don't have to figure it out on my own. And I don't just have to rely on my family of origin. Like, I have to move to Central PA or North Jersey, where the other family is, to, to, to be who I am. That's what I want to pass down to others, right? 
that means that I can still play a primary role in my children's life, and I will. I'll never not do that. I am who I am for them. But I'm not the sole person who influences them. You know what that means? That means they'll grow up stronger. And that means, at least for me, they'll grow up with a stronger faith, too. But because I am not the center of their faith, either. They'll have better boundaries for themselves. That kind of resilience is important so that they can keep following Jesus, so that they don't graduate from Jesus once they graduate from me. Similarly, because they don't rely on me for everything, I don't have to organize my whole life to provide them with everything. Which in turn means they don't have to provide me with everything in the same impossible way when I age and grow up. That kind of a codependent enmeshment that can ha- happen in family systems is disrupted just when we do it together. And because we redefine how we do family, we don't have to juxtapose our service to the church with our care for our family. Those things are no longer in conflict with each other. They work together ideally with some seamlessness. That doesn't solve all of our family problems, but it does mean we don't have to solve them on our own. And it does give us freedom to fail because we're doing it together. It means that we can re-enter our old family system and we don't have to act the same way that we did the first time. We can be new people now because we're becoming new together as we participate in this new family. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.